Welcome to Coffee Over Suicide, the dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show from A Game Consultancy, we have got Adam Smith. Uh, This is a pretty fantastic conversation. He talks about uh, losing an incredible amount of weight, creating a plan of discipline, uh, of sobriety, and uh, overcoming depression and suicide uh, uh, through action and behavior. And it's a really, really great conversation, which we're going to get into very quickly. Uh, but right out of the gate, I do want to mention some things that will be changing. Coffee Over Suicide is uh, and will always be a free podcast. But as such, I got to find a way to pay the bills. Uh, The Patreon is out there, of course, if you feel like you want to uh, help kick it in that direction. uh, You can find Coffee Over Suicide on Patreon. And uh, that means that I've got to have a day job. So with my day job and the other things that I'm doing in my life, it means that sometimes things don't always get out on time. Uh, Episodes will uh, always get out there. They will always be free um and the thursday meetings will always be a priority uh there's some big news i will be going back to college to actually get a degree so at some point uh a a real therapist (laughs) will be talking to you from this show uh i am getting my degree and we'll see how that shakes out Um, I've also started taking improv classes. Those two things could not be farther apart. Uh, And yet here we are. Um, Life is all about choices and challenges and, you know, who are you going to show up as? And that is a perfect segue into what's happening with today's guest. It is a great conversation about uh, choices and uh, uh, forming habits and creating a discipline for yourself even when you think you can't. Um, so yeah, let's get into this conversation with Adam Smith. Uh, you know, it's a, it's that time of year. It, uh, people have short attention spans, short tempers, and it's really an exercise in managing what I have the ability to control. (laughs) Mm. Uh, but, uh, where am I talking to you from? Uh, I'm based in a little town called Boston Spa, which is... Um, about 20 miles from Leeds in the north of England. 
Nice. So, yeah, it's a really uh, quaint little sort of town. It's like a uh, maybe a village, but either way, it's, it's really nice and really quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. I love it. So I must How be catching you? you near the end of your day. Um, about midway through, in a sense, really. Um, it's about 3 p.m. here, so mm. it's not too bad. Um, but, yeah, no, we've got, got a long sort of rest of the day ahead after this. Got a lot of calls and <laughs> coaching and stuff. So, yeah, it's all good. Well, well, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I want to, I want to get your whole deal because you've got, uh, you've got a, a quite a story <laughs> that gets you from where you were to where you are. So let's mm. let's start all all the way back, uh, sure. as I really like to do to get a picture of a person. Uh, tell me about what were what were you like as a kid? What was what was your childhood like? Mm. My childhood was almost like the Hallmark card, right? You know, mm-hmm. perfect uh, upbringing in a sense. Uh, didn't want for anything. Had very loving, supporting parents that are still married to this day, which in itself mm-hmm. is very rare. Uh, yeah. I look at my friendship circle, for example, and there's not that many friends that parents are still together. So, and in a loving marriage as well, nonetheless. So that was great. And got an older brother who's three years older than me. So typical young boys that would argue and fight all the time and hate each other and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, as we've got older, our relationships really developed. School was very difficult for me. I was uh, not very successful from the academic standpoint, purely because teaching back then was very outdated i wasn't interested um i learned at the age of 15 that i have dyspraxia so that's essentially like your attention deficits all over fine motor skills aren't the best either everything i did was you know self-taught in a sense through repetition that i became good at like tennis football things like that i have no right to have any remote ability for but um you know quite good at both for example But yeah, so dyspraxia, basically, if you're looking up at the blackboard and all the words are on the blackboard and you look down to write on your page and then you look back up at the blackboard, um, oh, it's there. And it takes you a few seconds to get you, you know, to get where you were. But if you repeat that 10 times, all the information's wiped off and it's written down again. So I've got probably half a page of notes and because I was writing so quickly and my fine motor skills aren't good, I couldn't even read my own writing. So my yeah. actual reading ability, mathemat- mathematical ability and all that was very advanced. But when it came to retaining information through pure audio, it didn't work because we all consume content through a variety of ways, whether that's kinesthetically, auditorial, um, visual, you know, we all retain it very differently and, Teaching in its simplest form is taking an unknown and making it into a known. Unfortunately, I had an unknown paired with another unknown, so and yeah. which is obviously very difficult. In in fairness to the teachers, you know they only have a limited amount of time they can teach, and they've got thirty kids to teach and all that kind of stuff. But school sure. was very challenging academically. But I was kind of like the. On the outside, like the stereotypical dumb jock American kind of thing, I was in the bottom set for everything um, when it came to English, maths and what have you, because I just wasn't interested. 
I knew that I wasn't going to do well. That was my limited belief. I was like, I'm not going to do well, so what's the point? Everything I actually cared about, I did okay in. And then sport, I thrived in. So it didn't matter, you know, in that sense, uh, when it's all about being cool, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get to 16, 17, and you start going, oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't, the, world, the outside world doesn't care how cool you are. It, you know, yeah. you need a little bit more about you than that. So... I kind of lent on the fact that my dad has got a successful plumbing and uh, gas company and, you know, he employed a team of people and he brought in a great salary. We went to the States quite a few times, been to New York, Vegas, Florida, all that kind of stuff. Been amazing. I just thought, that's fine. I'll just do that without actually thinking about what was involved because all I saw was the success. You know, I didn't see what happened in the dark. I only saw what happened in the light. <laughs> so yeah. um, I just saw all the best bits of it. And I did it for a year. I did an apprenticeship and I absolutely hated it. And it cost thousands. And I just, yeah. I remember there was one day when I was laid down in a in a ditch, you know, fixing a pipe and something just burst. And only God knows what liquid it was hit me square <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Yeah, as I was as I was laying face down in a trench, and I knew that moment that I'd made a mistake and that this wasn't for me anymore. So I spoke to him; he was great, very supportive, and I just needed a job. So I was looking for a job for a while. Applied for this company, and um, I thought it was a clothes shop, but it was actually a bar and restaurant because it was under the same name as what a other clothes shop was in a different town. And I just mm-hmm. assumed it was that. And they said, why do you want to work in hospitality? I was like, I don't. I said, isn't this retail? They're like, no. <laughs> why are you even here? I was like, I don't know. And they thought it was hilarious, so they hired me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just got through on dumb luck and, you know, charm alone, really. So yeah, that was that was fine. And then I, I was in that position. I got made head bartender after a few months or a year or whatever. Um, moved to one of the busier branches. And then I was in hospitality for 14 years. You know, I was in and out of that company for a long time, went to different places uh, in Leeds in the north of England and met some incredible people, had some great times, but also had some very, 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 very dark times because of that yeah. as well. And, you know, when I when I looked at the name of your uh, podcast, I was like, I love coffee and I felt suicidal and I've overcome it. So <laughs> this is a great yeah. match. Right. And um, yeah, it, it literally drove me to to that point. You know, people talk about depression a lot and really a depressive state comes from a sad state and a sad state comes from usually not being enough and you're not really enough due to the habits that you have. So, you know, I know there are people out there with chemical imbalances of the brain, which can lead you to more depressive thoughts. It can create anxiety disorder and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and multiple mm-hmm. personality disorder. I understand all of that. However, oh, yeah. I also think there's a very large portion of people, which I was included in, which were doing depression. And I was doing depression through my habits and through my standards and my behaviors. I was drinking too much alcohol, like an ungodly amount of alcohol. I was in the top three percentile of alcohol consumption in the UK based on the units that I was that I was consuming. Um, drugs, late nights, one night stands, uh, you know, takeout every night, not communicating to um, friends properly or family members, not exercising. 
as much as I used to. You name it. It was like a yeah. tick list of all the bad things you can do to yourself, and I was doing it. I mean, just filling a hole, just trying to just fill a hole with anything that would normally bring you some kind of joy. Uh, mm. You know, fried fish brings you joy, you know? Uh, uh, several pints. Uh, two pints will bring you joy. So four must be great. Seven mm. must be amazing. You know, uh, uh, it, it, sex is great. How much of that can we have? It, all of these things are, are so short term and so small. And in the long term, when you really expand it out, they can be so damaging when not managed properly. Mm. It's amazing the way that uh, the brain starts making those connections. And just wiring those things in because these are these are these are behaviors and practices that you put in place to serve you, to help you. You're doing these harmful things to yourself to help yourself. Mm. And it doesn't it, it, it's so hard to see when it's right in front of you. You have to step back. What, what was what was the first moment for you of like stepping back? Oh, there was. There How was far few... down did you have to go? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, for me, it was. You know, everyone's got their own interpretation of what rock bottom is, and you know, it's all completely yeah. subjective as well. Because mm-hmm. our version, as a you know, white straight man in the, in the north of England, I mean, you don't get more privileged than that, right? Yeah, um, in the main the scale of society. So, yes, my rock bottom is very different to that of um, a small African child in the slums of Kenya, for example. Yeah. But this, the, the thing is about that, the only challenge to this is that they only know what they know. They've got nothing to compare it to. So I feel like in a different sense, we've got a very different pressure on us to, in order to do that and go, yeah, but I've not got it as bad as... But it doesn't matter whether you're a billionaire or whether you're a homeless person. Everyone's got a, a very different view of the world. And we don't have to um, necessarily respect everyone's view of the world, but we have to understand that they have one. Yes. And you know, so what I mean is I don't respect the view of the world of Hitler. I don't respect right. it, but I can understand it, that he's got a different view than I do. So, you know, when we... When we compare ourselves to people, because people say comparison is a thief of joy, and I agree, When it, but that's usually a phrase that is used for, say, Dwayne Johnson, you know, like, oh, I wish I had what he had. You know, he's, he's good looking, he's rich, he's in good shape. But comparison yeah. can also go the other way in that I don't even know what I'm complaining about. I've got everything, but still, because no matter how, you know, air quote successful you are, Success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I know friends that are crying in their Ferraris because they've achieved, you know, by societal normities, unbelievable success, yet they still feel like they've failed in a different area of their life. So for me, my, my first sort of moment where I stepped out of myself and looked at my, um, my own life really was when I hit my version of rock bottom, because I couldn't even see it. I knew inherently and intellectually that what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't really see how it was affecting other people as much. 
So there was one where, um, I mean, my my story very quickly, I was working a lot of hours over Christmas for this particular company. And, you know, it was 8 a.m. till probably 10 p.m. And then you'd go home and you'd be on your email and you'd be worrying about the next day. And it was like that for the entirety of December. And we had a team that, you know, was we needed probably 50 or 60 staff. And I probably had about 40 for the Christmas period. So we're already really down on numbers. And I was just so stressed. And, you know, the partner I was with at the time, we were together for four years. And I wasn't showing up in the relationship. We didn't really care. You know, um, I'd have a day off and the bins needed taking out and the dishes need doing. And I'm sat there in my sweatpants playing PlayStation. You know, I get mm-hmm. home from a long day at work, come home thinking, oh, we might have sex tonight. We might, you know, try to rejuvenate some of the passion. And she's there in pseudocreme and pyjamas watching Kardashians. We just weren't showing up <laughs> for each other at all. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Just, was, it was just fizzling. <clears throat> because, um, yeah, but ultimately I, I you know, take the brunt of the responsibility in that, that my work dominated my life at the time. So obviously other bad habits creep in. You eat takeout, you put weight on, you put weight on, you feel lousy, you feel lousy, you don't sleep as well, you don't sleep as well, it goes out on your partner again. It just keeps going round and round and round. So um, it got to a point where my stress with work was actually causing me insomnia because I I was so worried about the next day and about the pre-orders and about this corporate booking and about nothing really when I look back on it now. (laughs) It, nothing matters, but at the time it did. So um, I approached my one of my bosses at the time and we really didn't get on and I broke down in tears in front of him, which was a pretty low point for me because I didn't like this person anyway. And he said, look, take a few days off over Christmas. And the whole time I was just worried about where the relationship's going and how we're going to sort it out and all that kind of stuff. Got through Christmas, fine. I went back to work after only five days and that was way too soon. I was in a pretty deep depressive state. I was anxious. I was exhausted. I remember on Christmas Eve, I didn't dare go out because my physique had got to a point where I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. I didn't want to see people from my hometown at Christmas in case they would ridicule me or, you know, I felt insecure. That was a low point. Um, right. Yeah. And, and then breaking out from the boss was a real low point, but I, um, yeah, I lost, um, you know, I lost the relationship. So, um, I went to a doctor, got diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And then three or four days later, the relationship ended. So I asked for a few days of space and then she said, I need some time to think now. Came round, I saw the car parked out the front with her friends driving. I was like, it wasn't her car. So I wonder what she's doing because she came in for what was supposed to be crunch talks. We were supposed to be sorting everything out. And then she walked in, ended the relationship out the door in about five minutes. So she's obviously been planning this all week because... The relationship was bad anyway. You know, it's, it's called a breakup because it's broken, right? And she was yeah. the only one that had, had the uh, the sort of fortitude to, to do it. So it was really tough, though. It felt like someone had stabbed me and walked out. You know, the pain was horrific. Yeah. So, um, went to the doctor, signed off with that. And then I had January off. I was frustrated the whole of January, didn't know what to do. 
um, was checking my phone every 30 seconds in the hope that she'd text me saying, come back, didn't happen. And then I lost a, I lost a family member. My auntie passed away to a brain hemorrhage. And then a week later, another friend of the family had a heart attack. So now down two family members, down a relationship. I'm feeling really nervous about going back to work. At this point, it's only five or six days away. And I'm like, I'm not ready to go back and manage a team and deal with all that kind of stuff. Went back way too early. Long story short, a couple of months went by, lose the job as well due to poor mental health. You're not the same leader as we thought you were, blah, 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 blah. So that was yeah. pretty difficult uh, pill to swallow. Um, and then another family member passed away. So this is, I'm just like, what's what's going on? You know, um, a week or two went by and I, I landed my dream job. It was a bar that I've always wanted to manage and I got it. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. But all the plus points were all the downsides. It was late nights, it was cocktails, it was great atmosphere, fire breathing, dancing on the bar. But you're finishing work at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Yeah. So, you know, people are taking all sorts to just stay awake. So, again, cocaine, copious amounts of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're talking while working, it was encouraged you could have a drink with your guests as a rapport oh, building yeah. atmosphere, but this was like a bottle and a half of whiskey while working bad. Yeah. And being functional. And I don't say that to impress yeah. anyone. I was horrified. No, but that's, that. that's exactly how that, how that goes. I mean, that's, uh, uh I, I mean, I, I've, I've been in that exact same position. Uh, that was, I mean, that was a lot of my twenties. Uh, was tending bar and I mean you've got to be a you've got to be able to have a drink or two uh, otherwise you're uh, you know you're viewed as you know you're not a real bartender mm-hmm. uh, it's it, I mean you you start to learn some tricks on on how to fake it but but it's expected there's an expectation from from the the patrons there but they don't know that they're the twelfth person to try to buy you a shot. They don't know that they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so, but when you get to that point where you can down a bottle and a half of whiskey and function just fine, you've got a problem. <laughs> you've got a oh, real yeah. problem. That's yeah. not a good thing to be good at. No, it was a character that I created. <laughs> it was like this mask, you know, it was, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm six, five and I was probably 265 pounds at the time. You know, I'm a big guy. And it was like, oh, big Adam, party animal, da-da-da-da. No, sad Adam, (laughs) crying Adam, depressed Adam that you don't see. And I'd I'd formed all these fake, you know, air quote, friendships Mm -hmm. based on what I could provide for them, receiving messages. Oh, you working tonight? Is Adam working tonight? Where's Big Adam? Sometimes I don't even know who these people were. They were friends of friends that were coming and asking yeah. me for free drinks or cheap drinks. And again, you, you think that they like you. They don't. They're here for one thing, and that's what you can give them. Because yeah. funnily enough, when I left the bar, half the messages stopped. Strange, right? <laughs> so yeah. don't get me wrong. I met a lot of great people down there, and... I'll always say this in the in the sense of a job because I don't class what I do now as a job. It's the best job I ever had because yeah. it was just so much fun and I learned a lot about myself and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, I went to therapy 
it, it wasn't for me. Nothing against the guy. He was a really nice guy, but it just, just wasn't working for me. I really needed coaching. Right. I needed more rebuttal. Yeah. I was just, it felt like talking to a wall. So, um, and I know that's the style of therapy, obviously, but it just wasn't for me. So, um, well, the thing really- about that too, not, not to, not to interrupt, just to add an anecdote, uh, the way that I've come to understand it, um, through my own experiences with therapy and with coaching is that therapy is very good at digging up and understanding the past and how you mm-hmm. got here. And coaching is very much about how to get forward, how to get there versus what did I do to get here? What can I do to get there? So just I I thought that that was appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's focusing on the problem rather than focusing on the solution. And I understand that we don't want to dance around the garden and say there are no weeds here, right? Because yeah. those weeds are yeah, going to yeah. take the garden. But I also don't want to go, oh, no, look at that weed. That weed's so big, and look how deep-rooted it is, and that's going to take forever. You know, that that was the problem that yeah. I had with therapy. I know it was a problem, but I don't need to put a magnifying glass on it and keep revisiting yeah. it. I knew it was there. Let's rip it out. Let's plant some new seeds down, right? Um, and then it got to about September – uh, of 2017 maybe yeah and um my best friend's dad just passed away in the night completely unexpected and you know this guy was very close to me and it's someone that I had a lot of respect for and just came so out of the blue 53 or 54 years old just like boom gone and yeah. that was that was very that hit me like a train so I remember at his funeral um I was looking around for him. I was in such denial that this guy had actually passed away. I was like, where is he? You know, and I looked around and I thought, what's the point? Like, what's the point of all this? You've got a crying wife over there, three crying sons, a room full of 300 people. Like, what's, what is the point of this thing that we call life? Right. And I just thought, I'm just going to end it. I'm just going to end it today. I've got nothing to live for anymore. Like, you know, I'm miserable. I'm I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. No one's going to miss me. So, fuck it. How can I do it? How can I end it? And yeah. um, I remember being at the wake and I drank about 10 pints, but because I was drinking so much at the time, it didn't even really hit the sides and no one even registered that I was remotely intoxicated. So um, I went back home. It was about a 10-minute walk from where the wake was to, or five-minute walk even to my parents' house. And I thought, I know how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to get in my car. I'm just going to plow it into a tree or a bridge or a pole or something at high speed. Yeah. Because that way I don't harm anyone else. The only people I'll be found by is the police and, you know, done, right? So I got, you know, I said bye to my mum and I was crying. She thought I was crying to the funeral. I was crying because I thought this is the last time I'm going to see my mum. Yeah. And then I uh, got in the car, drove off and I picked the bridge. I was like, this is perfect. It's a stone bridge. I'm going to hit it at full power, full speed, and it's going to kill me instantly. So I remember just driving about 100 plus miles an hour and I got a few hundred feet away and, you know, I could see it in, in the distance 
and the phone started to ring. It just flashed up with mum on the screen. And straight away I was like, <gasps> and then I pressed answer and she's like, Adam? I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, you've left your wallet at home. Do you want me to bring it round for you? And I just slammed on the brakes and the car just span out of control. <laughs> I was just like, as soon as I heard a voice, it was like, boom, I just snapped out of it. I was driving like almost like this light. I can't explain it. I just thought yeah. this is it. And then as soon as the phone rang, boom, and it said, Mom, that hit, and then a voice hit, and I was like, oh, shit. So I slammed the car on, and then I spun out of control and just pulled into a lay-by, and I just sobbed. And I mean sobbed. You know, it was like somebody had poured five litres of water over my head. My shirt was just sodden. And yeah. uh, it was that moment that I knew that I had something to live for, at least. And then I started to practice, like, almost instant gratitude in my head. I'd never practiced gratitude before in, in the literal sense, but I was like, how lucky am I that my mum just rang me then? How lucky am I to have a mum that loves me? How lucky am I yeah. that my parents are still married? How lucky am I for my family? And I just started doing that. And, I, you know, I got even more upset because I was like, I would have caused all this pain and all this suffering. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, a very surreal um challenging moment for sure and i knew that you know while i'd hit my version of rock bottom there's an old phrase which is rock bottom is a great foundation on which to build because you can't get any lower than rock bottom yeah. so everything from now is going to be is going to be a plus point and i can handle anything now that's thrown at me because of that those mental sort of calluses that i've, that I've put on my mind you know yeah yeah, it, it's the it, it's the uh, you know now that the worst has happened and you've experienced it, you've been there. Uh, things just don't seem as scary anymore because you already know that. Yeah, I, I can I, I I can see how bad things can possibly get because I've been there and I lived through it. So it it, it almost creates a whole new set of pathways in your brain that show you what's, what's possible for you to live through. Mm. Uh, I think that it is strengthening in some ways, not that I'd ever recommend it. <laughs> like don't go hunting for rock bottom, but there is something about uh, making that decision to come out of rock bottom uh, and realizing that you do have some level of agency over it of where you go next, what you do next. And the very idea that you've now got all these choices up in front of you, it can be liberating in a way and get you through the next few steps while it gets hard to dig your way out. Hmm. So tell me about digging your way out. Like where, so you, where did you start uh, as far as, uh, getting your getting your mind into that headspace where you were able to start focusing on you know growth and change again because that had to be tough from where you were. Sure, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was doing. I did sober October because uh, it was literally a few weeks after the funeral, mm -hmm. and I thought I need to take a break from booze because this is just 
you know, literally killing me. You know, when I went to the doctor and I started making jokes to friends like, oh, I'm in the top 3%. <laughs> you know, it's the first time I've been 3% for anything, but it's alcohol consumption. So, right. um, yeah, I had probably quite a few, um, you know, up and down moments. Sorry, wait me one second. Let me just shut this off. Of course. Um, so yeah, I had a few up and down moments over the next sort of two years, really, where you know I stopped, I started, I flirted with self development. I mean, I've I've studied self development incessantly since I was eighteen. I always knew that I wanted to work with people in some capacity. You know, coming yeah. across the likes of Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and uh, Jim Rohn and Les Brown and people like that was just incredible. So I've I've looked into all that for a very long time. I always knew that's what I was going to do. It was just a matter of when I felt good enough and confident enough in order to do it. So, um, you know, the the job I stayed at was 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 great for another year or so. Uh, we won national awards and did great, you know, best uh, top 15 cocktail bars in the UK and things like that. It was awesome. And uh, it got to probably... I went to go work for a different company, hated that. I went to go work for another one, then lockdown hit. Yeah. And when the lockdown hit, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because, and I don't want to, you know, brush over that because I know people lost family members, lost businesses. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, horrendous things that happened. But for me personally, it was the best thing that ever happened because I've had my fair share of crap. I thought, I need a break. I need to hit the pause yeah. button. I need to reevaluate everything because there was a lot of areas of my life that I wasn't happy in. So it came at the perfect time. So I had the first, you know, three to four weeks of playing PlayStation in my underwear because what else was there to do? <laughs> and then, sure, uh, yeah. And then I thought, right, I don't know what it is I want to do, but I want to help people. So um, I looked into coaching badges for football. I looked into going back to personal training. So I did that before. And I thought, and then I came across this course from Tony Robbins, known as um, KBB, which is the Knowledge Broker Blueprint, which essentially is taking what knowledge you have and turning it into either a course or a program to help people, and you gain yeah. the qualifications through that. So it wasn't really anything specific that I'm qualified in, but it takes like six months to a year, and I did it in about three months because, again, what else was there to do? So doing like 12, <laughs> right. 15 hour days of pure immersion on this stuff and just threw myself at it. So did that, set my own coaching business about 18 months ago now. And I used the knowledge that, you know, around self-development, life coaching, habit creation, morning routine. But um, I've managed thousands of people over the years and I'd have to be an idiot at this point not to see patterns in human behavior. So I absolutely love working with people and noticing the little nuances that we all have of, oh, when John said that to Steve, look at Steve's reaction and then look at John's reaction to Steve's reaction. And I'd pick social occasions apart and I could understand what was happening 15, 20 feet away without even hearing what the conversation was just through patterns of, of movement and stuff. So I thought if I can do it that, I can do it by asking good questions too. So... Um, I set that up and after about six months, I was really down again because I thought this is what I've always wanted. I always knew I was going to work for myself because I always had a bigger vision than um, than being employed. That's not a slight on anybody that is employed. It just wasn't for me. 
And yeah. um, I thought, what am I going to do? I've got, you know, a good amount of money built up now. I've got a good client base, but I'm still not fulfilled. And I realized that I missed working as part of a team. So two friends of mine uh, who, were, who were basically clients, you know, I loved all my clients, but I loved speaking to these two because the real goal getters get up at the, you know, crack of dawn, go work out, really involved in meditation and gratitude. They just got it. They stuck to it, but they were still unfulfilled themselves. So I helped them get their mind right about how to increase fulfillment within their lives. Now, I thought, hmm, one of them's a personal trainer and a physio, and the other one's a nutritionist. And I thought, there's a gap in the market here for the three pillars of health, because there's technically four pillars of health. The fourth one is sleep. But if you get the other three yeah. pillars right, the, the byproduct is that you have a good sleep anyway. And they just yeah. both so happened to be called Adam as well, <laughs> which is just a wonderful <laughs> accident, right? So it wasn't just the three Adams that I thought would work. I thought internal, physical, and mental health. What if we could get people on full nutrition plans, full workout plans, and then full mindset coaching as well? Like, I don't know anywhere that's doing this. So I rang them both up one day, and one of them was uh, you know, doing an okay sort of job as a physio, the other one was in, you know, trying to get into coaching, but didn't know how or what or whatever to do. Um, he just knew that he was finishing his nutrition off. And I rang them both and I said, I've got this idea. What do you reckon? And they both went, yep, let's do it. And I was like, oh, shit, that was easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally, the, like, the next day, we're on a group call. And we're on a group call. These two had never met before. Yeah, And they're both just like, yeah, let's do it. Got on a group call and then they were in, set up a group chat, started the company and then here we are a year later. It was our, it was our first birthday on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, last Wednesday, was it? Or Thursday, yeah, last week. So it's been a crazy year. You know, we've helped hundreds of clients, worked with corporate companies like Diageo and um, the Atlantis in Dubai and all sorts. It's just been unbelievable. But... You know, to go through the hardships, I almost feel was necessary. Like you said earlier, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't say yeah. that it has to go to that much of an extent. But I've I realized that hitting that pause button, reevaluating and reassessing that things need to change, and the most the, the the one common denominator in all of it was me, and I had to change. Because there's something that Jim Rohn, who's Tony Robbins' you know, mentor for people that don't know, he said that his mentor asked him to bring a reasons list, all the reasons why he'd not been successful. And he wrote the government, the weather, the traffic, you know, the, his parents. He said, there's one yeah. problem with your list. You're not on it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, I knew at that moment it was like a smack in the face that, I've been pointing the finger of blame at just about everything else other than myself. And I had to look within myself in order to change and doing the the hard yards, doing the necessary work in order to accept that maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I do need to invest in myself. Maybe I do need to change this certain behavior. Maybe I do need to start implementing that. And um, it's been a very challenging process even to this day. You know, I have, I have what some people would refer to as bad days. I don't like to call it a bad day. I like to just call it yeah. handling a bad moment poorly, you know, and that's what I did the other day. It just 
frequently handling situations in a poor manner, but it's not a bad day. That's the yeah. biggest challenge I'll put to people. Um, there are certainly bad moments in the day, for sure, more challenging ones. But whether you look at it as good or bad is your interpretation as well, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I love everything that you're saying here. Uh, it's it, it, because, I mean, we've all got our own road for how we get there, right? As far as uh, finding that place of, um, you know, educated, enlightened, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it, it all it, it all comes through experience and knowledge and trial and error and things like that. And the place that you are now where you're knowledgeable and you're experiencing these things and, and you uh, have an understanding of how to change your reactions to situations and see yourself in the situation. When the, the, the negativity comes up, as it will, it's part of humanity, it's part of life, there's going to be little things, there's going to be those bad moments, like you said. When those things come up, is it is it easier for you now than it was before to come back from that yeah the, the, to be honest how it tends to work is when you don't do any work on yourself you react to everything emotionally yeah and then when you start to do work on yourself you're stuck between this emotional and objective bit which is really difficult too so it's what's known as like the negativity loop. So for example, if I'm in the car and somebody pulls out in front of me, most people slam on, beep the horn, you mother beep, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a normal reaction because we go into survival mode instantly. It's like when people say to me, I want to kill myself. Well, I guarantee you if I threw you into the ocean with a lead weight attached to you, you're going to fight for your life to survive. Yeah. It's an instinct, yeah. whether you like it or not. You're not just going to sink. So it's a natural thing to survive and to protect ourselves. Now, when you start doing work on yourself, you may swear still, but then you get annoyed that you've sworn and you've got frustrated because then you start judging yourself for being negative. And then you start judging yourself that you've judged yourself and you're stuck in this negativity loop instantly. So the incident's yeah. happened you've reacted to it, then you're reacting to your reaction. It's miserable. It causes yeah. a lot of heartache. Now, the stage I've got to at the moment is if someone pulls out, I will do the horn. I'll tell them to F off or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm calm again a few minutes later and it doesn't ruin my day. So that's the biggest difference is accepting the emotion and then I have a four-step method, essentially. Look at, well, deal with the reality of the situation. That's the best bit of advice I've heard or received in the last 12 years of self-development. Just deal with the reality of the situation. If you're overweight, deal with the reality. If your marriage is going down the toilet, deal with the reality of it. If your business is failing, deal with the reality of it, because that's all we have. Yeah. But don't look at it emotionally, look at it objectively. Like, what is it actually doing? Not, you know, then the next step is look at it for what it is. So you've dealt with, let's say, with weight loss. You deal with the reality of the situation. I'm overweight. 
um, I'm going to look at the situation for what it is. Well, what it is isn't great because I'm overweight and I want to lose mm-hmm. 50 pounds, let's say, or 20 pounds. Yeah. The next one is don't look at it for worse than it is. This is what a lot of people do. So deal with the reality. I'm overweight. And they go, um, look at it for what it is. Oh, I'm really frustrated. Then, oh, no, I'm a fat loser. I've got no friends. I don't deserve happiness. That's looking yeah. at it for worse than it is. But eventually, you have to look at it for better than it is. Because otherwise, you'll just be stuck in what it is. And what it is still isn't great. So looking at it for better than it is, is, okay, well, I could lose five or six pounds. I've, I've been in shape before. What exercise could I start doing? What food groups can I start consuming again that I've neglected? How much water am I currently consuming? What if I got in the best shape of my life in the next 18 months? What confidence would that give me? How would that improve my marriage and my sex life? How would that improve my business? How would that improve the way I show up in relationships? Because otherwise, if you don't create a compelling future for yourself, you're just stuck in the current present, which isn't a great place to be either. Yeah. But again, don't make it worse than it is. So I just look at everything very objectively now. I have moments of feeling angry and feeling really happy and feeling down and feeling anxious. And But I don't live there. I don't live in it all day. That's what I will say. I don't fester in that moment. I just allow the moment to happen because what I see a lot of the time is, oh, I just I had these really negative thoughts the other day. That's okay because it's just a thought. The yeah. same way that when you're walking down the street and you see a little kid next to a main road and you might say in your head, oh, imagine if that little kid ran in front of a car. It's just a thought. What if the car just derailed and just knocked over that kid doesn't make you a bad person or a good person or an indifferent but it's just it's just a thought and no one ever died yeah. from having a thought no one ever yeah. died from feeling an emotion yeah so if we just allowed ourselves to have these thoughts and not judge ourselves having these thoughts you'll create a lot more inner peace because what i hear a lot of the time is people say um oh i have this inner demon i have this inner villain well why are you putting such emphasis and negativity on your internal dialogue? We all have an internal dialogue. If you imagine yourself going within your own head now and screaming as loud as you can, you can feel it. You can feel the internal screaming, right? Yeah. But rather than calling it an inner villain or a demon or the devil and the angel, just refer to it as your roommate or your friend. Oh, it's just my roommate. He's just popping up to have a you know have a conversation with me. So if I've got a big meeting on Thursday and it's Monday and I'm getting all my uh, my calendar sorted, oh no, the interview on Thursday. Let's talk about it. Let's have a chat with my roommate. Oh, what are you anxious for? Oh well, it's a big meeting and you know if I don't get it, then I'm going to be stuck where I'm in this job. Well. Imagine how different life could look if you did get it. How can we prepare? Because you're not in control of the outcome, right? You're only in control of how you prepare. Right. So um, how can we get your preparation to be great? Well, I can write down a list of everything that I need, okay? 
you can have your shirt ironed the day before and make sure it's in a suit carrier so it doesn't get any creases or stains on it, okay? Um, it takes 45 minutes to get there and your meeting's at 9, so we want to set off at 7 and go sit at a local coffee shop around the corner so we don't even entertain the idea of being late. Okay, what else can I do? You can't work on the outcome. You can only work on the preparation for said outcome. Yeah. So, But by having that simple conversation in your mind with your roommate, not the inner villain because the inner villain is going to tell you you're a loser the inner villain is going to tell you that is not possible it just softens it so if it is yeah. a little bit of self-doubt creeping in similar to what we said earlier with the you know when you're eating the takeaway and you think it's good for you and it isn't and having the beer and you think it's good for you and it isn't every action that we do as people begins with a positive intention even in extreme circumstances even in murder so the murderer is trying to gain significance over the victim, in their mind at least. In their mind, this is a good thing. And we know that's yeah. absolutely false and it's a terrible thing. But the positive intention was to for him to gain significance. So if we can do it in the extremities of that, we can definitely do it in day-to-day -day decisions too. Why did my boss shout at me? Maybe because he feels really insecure because his marriage is failing. And maybe he, didn't, maybe he didn't sleep well last night because his kids were up crying all night. Maybe he's got imposter syndrome so much so he has to yell in order to gain respect because that's how his mentor taught him. It doesn't mean you're yeah. a loser or you're bad at your job or that he hates you. So just understand that this is a very freeing but very irritating way to live because you know why everybody does everything. <laughs> yeah. So... You overanalyze. Well, one of the things that I'm hearing uh, quite a lot that that you're saying is uh, I'm hearing a lot of questions, and and questions are so essential in my opinion. Uh, I, I really asking questions uh, that that want answers, not questions that give you answers. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of how can I not uh, you know. Uh, uh, it's all hopeless. It's mm -hmm. it's or how do I fix this situation? How do I make this better? How can I understand this? Uh, why does this work this way? How important is language in all of this when you're getting started? Because it it, it seems to me like it, it would be very important to think about the words that you're using in your day-to-day -day life and, and how you talk to yourself and other people, does, mm -hmm. does that have a big impact on all of this? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm a huge stickler for language. So sometimes <laughs> people think of it as being um, pedantic, but I always warn them before, you know, it's like when people say no offense and then cause offense. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but in this instance, it's coming from a great place and that's look, I don't want to be pedantic. However, I do want to challenge some of the wording that you're using because it's very strong. So um, I, I see it every single day. I had it literally two hours ago within an appointment. Client said, um, oh, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I'm just really down all the time. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why do you think you're really down all the time? And he said, why are you talking so slowly? I said, I'm just mirroring you. He's like, is that what 
that's not how I sound. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> and he goes, oh, God. Is, is that seriously what I sound like? I went, yeah. You're talking really slow. <sighs> Big, deep breaths. He started rubbing his face a bit. Physiology was down. Now, I'm not suggesting that we implement false positivity here, but maybe we could review right. physiology. What do you think to that? And he said, yeah. Like, I guess when I put my shoulders back and put my chest out and instantly I felt like a little tingle down my spine. I was like, okay, what are you focusing on when you focus on all the negative things? Like how bad I am at this and how I can't do that. You know, and it, it, it's the it's the basic foundations of the words that we attach to things. And we put a lot of, um, you know, again, when people say I'm in a constant battle with my mind, I was like, <laughs> where are the weapons? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the shield? And they're like, oh, right, yeah, okay, you're doing that thing again. I said, no, no, let's just get serious. You're yeah. associating defending or attacking your emotions. There's no need to attack or defend. There's just processing or not processing. There's talking about it or there's not talking about it. So you're not in a constant battle with your mind. You're experiencing a challenging thought and you're not quite sure how to handle it is a much better narrative, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. Okay. Because like I just said there, I'd, I never encourage false positivity because it's more toxic than negativity. You know, yes. We don't want to just smile and say everything's great and it's fine and it's dandy when it isn't because that's only going to cause more problems because people say a problem shared is a problem halved only in the right environment. If you share a problem in the wrong environment, that can be just as bad because people try fix you and people try save you and people put the cape on and want to rescue you. But mm -hmm. I don't need to fix anybody. Nobody's broken. We can just reframe things in a very different way. People say to me, there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. Well, where's this tunnel? Where's it going? Yeah. And there is no tunnel and you are the light. So just start living in that. And, you know, I say to people one question when they start telling me how bad their life is or the things that they should or shouldn't have done, when are you going to be good enough? And straight away, people just don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I guess when I earn the six figures, no. Uh, I don't know. When, when, I, when I get a six-pack, no. Uh, I don't know. What's the answer? Right now. Right now what? Right now you're good enough. And straight away it's like a, it's like a big release right. because they've realized that while self-improvement is important, self-love for where you're at right now is just as important. And I'm not saying that, you know, we can't move forwards and we can't want to change things and become better. But don't get it twisted in thinking that you're not enough as you are right now either. So the language, you know, I'm getting there. Getting where? Where's there? Because there, apparently, everyone has it all worked out. Everyone's yeah. in great shape. Everyone's a millionaire. Everyone's just smiling all the time, right? But there <laughs> doesn't exist. We can be right. All we have is right here. And people go, oh, I can't wait for next weekend. It's going to be an amazing weekend. I'm going to be so happy. Why wait? Yeah. I'll be happy today. What's going to happen next weekend? 
or I just need a holiday, I just need a vacation. Why? It's just you in another country. Your problems are going to follow you. Or you can learn how to handle those problems today and right now and still enjoy your holiday. But you can also enjoy right now. And again, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, this, I'm not suggesting that for a second, oh, well, what if my parents have just passed away? Or what if I've just, you know, got divorced? I'm, I'm not suggesting those extremes. I'm talking just day-to-day general things here where, you know, it, it, people live in these emotions. So, of course, there are extreme things that can happen day-to-day. So I don't know anyone to listen to this, get it twisted, that it's just yeah. a simple light switch. But, you know, what you focus on, you will find all the time. If you want to focus on all the crap things about your body, cool. Where's the checklist? If you want to focus on all the amazing things about your life, you could also find a, a quite a few good things as well, right? Yeah. Well, so, I could talk to you about this stuff uh, literally for four more hours, <laughs> but, uh, I want to thank you for sharing everything today. This has been absolutely awesome. And I hope we get to do this again. This has been fantastic. Thanks for talking to me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been great. I've loved it. You know, it's everything that this, <laughs> this podcast stands for is, is what it needs to do. And, you know, not just men talking about it, but, having a safe space for men to share without yeah. the fear of being judged or fixed is is what's needed right now, but just in the general world, you know? So the one last little bit I will say to anyone, if anyone comes to you with a problem and they're feeling suicidal or they're feeling really down, don't try fix it. Just listen. Just provide that safe space and don't try save them because they don't need saving. Just listen. Ask more open-ended questions or sometimes just be comfortable sat in an uncomfortable silence. That's the only last thing I would leave on because too many times people go, here's what you need to do. And it's like, I don't need your answers. I just want to share. Yeah, Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And there you have it. Wasn't that a great conversation? I've learned a lot from him. As a matter of fact, I myself am on a journey of discovery and weight loss and pushing myself in directions that I never thought I was capable of. Uh, If you want to find more Adam Smith, and I know that you do, go to agameconsultancy.com. There are links to where you can find him on social media and everything there. Uh, Also, if you want to know what else is going on in the Randomify universe, Never Been Fit is going to be dropping very, very soon. You can follow Never underscore Ben underscore Fit on Instagram to get the details on this brand new project that's going to be shaping up. Uh, Tim Rooney has a brain tumor, and he's got to lose weight and get himself in the best shape of his life to make sure the surgery is a success. Follow the journey. Be a part of it. I am. But until next week... Don't kill yourselves out there.